in Job chapter 36. I think I'm just going to pray and we'll take off from there. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you just work in our lives tonight. We thank you for the testimonies. I pray that we'd all be desiring to study your word, to know you in a closer, deeper relationship. Lord, uh, I pray that you'd help me this evening. Whatever, help me to speak clearly. May your word just take over and be what we learn the most from, obviously. May it find lodging in our hearts. Be with us this evening and be at the communion time to follow. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Tonight is God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for far more than just our food. So that is uh, the simple title is God is great, God is good. We have, I, I can congratulate you that we have now endeavored with tonight's message. We've cleared the decks. We've got all the way to 37 at the end of the message, Lord willing. We've had all of the debate. We've had now Elihu has gone six chapters worth and really gives some good things. God comes on the scene. He's been on the scene all the time, but in 38.1, we, we leave humankind's uh, rhetoric, if you would, and we go to God. And so tonight, we thank you for hanging in there. Message 31, a Job series, and what a series it has been. Uh, we've gone past the three friends who've spoken their time. We find in 36, verse 1, Elihu also proceeded and said, Elihu is the different nature. He's not among the three and 42 that God condemns. <clears throat> not condemns necessarily, but it says they need to get right with him, and Job would pray for them, etc. That's in 42. The Elihu is, is different nature. I think his his words. He has really found and nailed Job's difficulty to the wall, if you would, in a, in a, in a way, in a spiritual sense, and, and really come to grips with it. The other three were just, they just would not get out of their Job has sinned rut. And Elihu says, no, it's, it's what he's doing now, not so much what he did before, but it's what he's doing now, casting disparaging uh, ideology, if you would, or remarks toward God without or implications toward God. So there are four divisions. Number one is first of this tonight, starting in 36, 1 to 15. There's the defense of God, ascribe righteousness to my maker. Elihu in 36, 1, 2 cannot say enough about God. Suffer me a little, and I will show thee that I have yet to speak on God's behalf. And then we find that his passion is three. I will fetch my knowledge from afar, and I will ascribe righteousness to my maker. That word righteous has taken on a different form uh, in my era when I was in high school. That's a righteous dude, we would say. And so he's someone that's really good or really good at that, or maybe he's like, I don't know what it would fly to. But it's not the righteousness of God. God's righteousness is far surpassing any of human being, we know that. And fourthly, we, uh, we sign verse 4, he's confident in that what he knows. For truly my word shall not be false, be that uh, he that is perfect in knowledge is with thee. You know, he might raise our eyebrows at that he that is perfect in knowledge is with thee. But even the most jaded critic of Elihu, who most commentators are critics of Elihu, can, uh, can argue that the words here is our claim to accuracy, not omniscience. He's not saying, listen, I have perfect knowledge about all things. There is, I don't know that we have perfect knowledge, any of us, about anything, a perfect knowledge. Now we have a maturing knowledge, but a, do you know every single thing? I found out the more you got involved with things, the more details there are to it. I thought, I thought piano tuning was simple, fairly simple. And I talked to Mr., he used to tune, he's gone on to glory now, uh, Mr. Fenton. He said, Tim, he said, he sort of gave me a, a he looked at me like, uh, can, I said, can you just give me the, I got tools, can you just teach me how to, you know, go through it one time, how to tune the piano? He goes, I've been doing this 40 years, and I still am learning things. I said, oh, so I'm like, okay, uh, so I, I barely have scratched the surface on piano tuning. So there's a, a, we understand, we learn about God, but there's much more about God that we are, be, I think, learning eternity, for eternity about our God. 
So he's not claiming omniscience. It's a claimed accuracy. Uh, however, it's more likely, I think he's talking about the one who's referring to is not himself, but God. Let's read it again. For truly my word shall not be false. He that is perfect in knowledge is with thee. God was obviously with Elihu. Now, why would he say that? Because immediately in verse 5, he starts talking about God. Behold, God is mighty and despiseth not. He is mighty in strength and in wisdom. Secondly, he later uses a nearly verbatim phrase to describe God. Perfect in knowledge. At 37.16, you want to turn over to 37.16 if you need to turn a page there. Dost thou know the balancings of the clouds, the wondrous works of him which is perfect in knowledge? And thirdly, a colorful climax of speech, Elihu repeatedly calls attention to the existing presence and tangible activity of God. So Elihu's claim to fame, if you would, is he is giving things and teaching things that are parallel to what God's going to say in short time here. And so really he is found Job's difficulty, and Job has not. And, you know, there's six chapters, and there's no rebuttal from Job at all. And so we find that he really has, I think, nailed down what Job is struggling with. And the goal of the preacher, as you well know, is to turn the direction toward God and then do application. So this morning we talked about for 30 minutes, whatever it was, about Ezekiel chapter 38, etc., the prelude to that. And then for about the last minute and a half, we talked about the application. So what do we do now? We insure, we, in, we involve, we invest, we inspect. So in light of what we're learning, what are we to do with that? In light of what you've learned, and so we, that's what he's going to do, application after that in 16 and 21. God is mighty and man, merciful and compassionate. Verse 5, behold, God is mighty and despiseth not any. He is mighty and strength and wisdom. Isaiah says in 57, 15, for thus saith the Lord and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. The song we just sang, do you really want revival? That last word has the last sentence has the word obey. So if you want revival, it's going to start with obedience to what we already know God wants us to do. To be faithful here, doing that. That's part of revival is, Lord, you're going to surrender this, whatever it is you've got that's holding you back, and obey what God has called us to do. Continuing on in 6, God does not preserve the wicked, but gives justice to the oppressed. He preserveth not the life of the wicked, 6, but giveth right to the poor, that Elihu nourishes a far-sighted view of God. The three first friends had a narrow view of God. If you are in such trouble as Job, you sinned. And they could not get out of that rut. I remember uh, in the 60s when we would go up to the one-room schoolhouses in McGoffin County on these long dirt roads, and they would have ruts. If you got in some of those ruts, you hardly could get back out. And so my dad was all the time trying to avoid the ruts because he got in the the ruts, and he slipped in there in the mud, and, like, and you could bottom your car out. It was those, the ruts were that deep. We sometimes get into a spiritual rut ourselves, and they were in the spiritual rut as Job is wrong. If he just repent, God would forgive. Now, God does forgive and repent, but Job had not sinned. But since Job had not sinned, in the last few chapters, we have seen that he's gone beyond and cast some insinuations against, I am just, I am just, but and almost well, what about God he doesn't say per se but he leaves it we should just close that up 
We should, and God is infinitely more just than I am. Do not leave. We should not be casting any kind of a disparaging remark. I was telling my wife, I was reading a book on Job, and one guy had a couple of remarks at the end of two of the chapters. I thought, I just, I just don't, just cast God in a bad light. And we, we should not be doing that. Continuing on, verse 7, God never ignores the, or overlooks the righteous, but exalts them to kingly thrones. 37, he, he withdraweth not his eyes from the righteous, but with kings are they on the throne. Yea, he doth establish them forever, and they are exalted. You want to know who allows Putin to be in place? Jing Jinping, uh, Kim Jong-un, whoever you want to put in there. You want, God allows that. He's still on the throne. He's still in control. He is. If in the meantime, the righteous like Job find themselves fettered by affliction, look at 8 and 9, and if they be bound in fetters and be holden in the cords of affliction, then he showeth them their work and the transgression they have exceeded. If they're going to do these things, God's going to eventually, God, man will be held accountable for what they have done. All mankind will be held accountable for the life they have lived supremely. What did you do with Christ? That's the singular most important question you must ask. But after we're saved, what have you done for God or have not done for God? And the unbeliever is going to be standing before God. What did you do with Christ? Well, I rejected him. Well, then I'm going to reject you. Verse 10, he openeth also their ear to discipline and commandeth they, that they return from iniquity. We're, we're called repentance. If they obey and serve him, they shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasures. Verse 12, but if they obey not, they shall perish by the sword and they shall die without knowledge. So the difference between the inwardly righteous and the impious or those who do not show reverence to God with their heart is whether they cry out not just to God, but for God in their affliction. Who, who, who do you cry? We, Lord, please help me. I was just praying before church. Lord, please help me. I cannot do this myself. And I trust that as you do ministry, we cannot do what God has called us to do on our own. If you try to do that, it was Tozier who said, if the Holy Spirit left and was left America, that 95% of the church work would continue on just as it was the previous Sunday because the Spirit is not involved. Now, he's just guesstimating at that, but what he was saying, you know, we have to have the Holy Spirit. So I don't always pray it, but I will pray, Lord, please forgive me of sin, empty me of self, and fill me with yourself. That's what I pray almost every message, try to include that in there some way, in some capacity, and that's you and I, as you go out tomorrow to serve the Lord in whatever capacity, if you're in your job or around home, whatever it is, Lord, help me to be Christ-like. Verse 13, it says, but the hypocrite in heart heap up wrath. They cry not when he bindeth them. The wicked are, are abandoned to humiliation, but God delivers and instructs the righteous who are poor and oppressed. 14, they die in youth. And their life is among the unclean. He delivereth the poor in his affliction and openeth his ears, their ears in oppression. God's all about the poor. Those who are cast, now we have this in our society, and I'm sure I'm not going to go down the, the intersectionality ideology, or the critical theory. I don't know if you know what critical theory is, but it's the idea that the oppressed, if you're an oppressed people, an oppressed culture, you then are to be trumpeted and you are to be given all these things. And if you're not oppressed, you are the oppressor. So I will just tell you right now in critical theory, we're all oppressors. I'll just, I'll just tell you right now. We're all the oppressors. And those who are in these other categories are the oppressed. 
And so whether you wanted to be that or not, that's what you are. You have now become, if you believe what we teach here, which I trust that you do, you're now on the right wing, the right wing of, the, of our culture now. You are the right winger. Uh, whether you want to be there, not, not in hockey, left wing, right wing, center, but you're a right winger. You're on, the, you're on the, you know, it's the position that so many had just a few decades ago. The vast majority of America believed what we continue to hold, and we're the wrong people now. I just, I don't go get started on that, but you've already got started. I'm going to stop, I'm going to hop off that bandwagon right now and go back to the, aren't you glad we have the Word of God? That helps me. Just to, oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul. It changes what you're thinking about. I told a lady this week, it's, it's what you think about that makes all the difference. What you, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. How, how do your thoughts weigh in, in, God's, in God's throne room right now? What, what are you thinking about this week? Right now I'm thinking about the book of Job. Okay, we got it. Well, how about after we walk out the door? What are you going to think about? You know, wow, I've got so many things. Well, there's a lot of things, but don't be thinking about the wrong kind of things. Think about, and it puts our mind at ease. Let's go on, please. We have far more even than the bare necessities, putting our mind at ease. The defense of God, the diagnosis, Job's reaction to God's dealing puts him in danger of judgment that is due to the wicked. So he, he skillfully now transitions his defense of God to the application to Job. So if Job maintained his humble submission, remember at the beginning, of the, uh, he had some wonderful verses. Chapter 1, verse 10, he says when it first came on him, he says here, Hast thou made a hedge about him, about all his house, etc., and put all this about him? Job fears God for naught. In all this, 22 of 1, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. And he says in 2.10, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh, What shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? And all this, Job did not Job sin with his lips. When it started, Job was a paragon of virtue. As time has gone on, and because God has been silent, he has been elevating his own righteousness. God has not responded. So, and that's not sure. I know I'm righteous, and so that's where he's gotten. It's not so much how he started, but how he has continued on. So in 16, we find that even so, would he have removed thee out of the straight into a broad place where there is no straightness, and that which should be set on that table should be full of fatness. His condition now is virtually indistinguishable from the wicked, verse 17, but thou hast fulfilled the judgment of the wicked. Judgment and justice take hold on thee. Job's on precarious ground because there is 18 in his wrath. Beware, lest he take thee away with his stroke. Then a great ransom cannot deliver thee. Will he esteem thy riches, Job? No, not gold, nor all the forces of strength does not the night when people are cut off in their desire not the night when people are cut off in their place and take heed regard not iniquity for this thou hast thou chosen rather than affliction so Elihu's final warning here is an appeal to underscore the one last time this core concern not what Job did but what he is doing now he refuses to focus on Job's past wickedness. And I'm telling you, Elihu zeroes in on Job's real need. You're, you're casting disparaging insinuation against the justice of God as you clear your own name. This is not Job's ways, but Job's words. And that was number two. And by the time Job is going to be able, by the time he responds, he will be ready to, uh, to change. There's the doxology number three. 
is the doxology. Behold how great and majestic and incomprehensible and faithful is God. Starting in 36.22 through 37.18, a transition. Now, doxology simply means a liturgical form of praise, if you would. We have not sung the doxology here at our church for quite some time. We should. Beautiful. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Beautiful reminder to set our mindset and tone of our service. Praise God for all. We might start incorporating that some. That's a wonderful, just short, but it's to the point. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above you, heaven and earth. Praise Father, etc. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Verse 22. Behold, God exalted, exalted by His power and teaches like Him. Who? Who teaches like God? Who then could declare or to insinuate? How dare Job insinuate that God has done wrong? 23. Who hath enjoined him his way? Or who can say, Thou hast wrought iniquity? At this point, Elihu rises into more exalted plane and he soars on the wings of doxology. 24. Remember that thou magnify his work, which men behold. Every man may see it, man may behold it afar off. Who is it that you are exalting? Here's an invitation worth rehearsing regularly is to exalt our wonderful Savior, to praise Him for His kindness and thankfulness. He is to be exalted. My wife was just sharing with me on the way in about, she was watching some uh, thing, video thing about a lady who's having this very well-known singer-songwriter here in the world coming to their house to work on a music project together. And, and her husband's like his favorite singer, and, and he was, he was, she was telling him, and I said, I have no idea who that person is. And yet she's some famous singer-songwriter. I'm telling you, I know the most famous person and the person. That's who we should know. I'm not boohooing her. There are a lot of famous people, a lot of famous basketball players. And there's a lot of infamous people. And there are a lot of people who are famous just for being famous. What have they done with their lives? They've been, they're famous. <laughs> they're famous. Woohoo! I'm telling you, when you stand before God, that's not going to count for a hill of beans. And hill of beans, uh, especially if you put a lot of them in there, no matter how many you put in the bear, it's not going to count for as much, that much, really. All these thoughts to which Elihu introduces us, on which God will concentrate his attention. Uh, so God is not only greater than we, how can we expect to, why should we even, Job, why even this, any kind of disparaging word? God is great, God is good, 26. Behold, God is great, and we know him not. Neither can the number of his years be searched out. He's not saying we can't know God. He's saying we can't know all about God. And that's the way it's going to be for eternity. God's going to be, we are never going to be after a million years, we're going to be right there, right neck and neck. No, you're never going to be neck and neck with God. Now, I'm going back to the neck bones from this morning. Uh, but we're always going to, he's going to be there, and we're always down here for eternity. That's the way it is. Can you uphold all things by the word of your power for one second? Can you uphold Greenup County by the word of your power? Can you uphold Heberlin Road? By... No, I'm telling you, i got cats galore out there now. I'm telling you, you cannot control those things. One thing I've learned, you cannot herd cats, control cats. Cats do whatever they want to do and look at you funny crosswise if you even try to, get, you know, try to do something. That's the cat. That's why dogs are loved and cats are tolerated and loved. There we go. I, just, I can say it because i got three. 
So suddenly, though, as, as he's speaking, a storm starts to gather on the horizon. If you'll notice in our text, it starts to gather. We're at 36, uh, starting in there about verse 27 in that general neighborhood there. For he maketh small the drops of water. They pour down rain according to the vapor thereof, which the clouds do drop and distill. Which, uh, and we find this uh, vision now, some blowing thunderheads in 29. says, for us also, can any understand the spreadings of the clouds? And then we have a very picturesque, or the noise of his tabernacle. Behold, he spreadeth his light upon it and covereth the bottom of the sea. I'm telling you, when it thunders, our God is awesome. Whoa. Just like, that's, that's God. I don't know if he's walking around in heaven or what it is, but he's a, uh, it was, uh, he, he, that's him. Stopping. That he does not just wipe us completely off the planet. That he can thunder the power of our God, and yet he, he wants to be our friend. He wants, us to, he wants to talk with us. He wants to be close to us. And if you're not as close to God as you used to be, guess who moved? It is not him. It is you. It is I. A phenomenal of nature, beautiful, awe-inspiring as, as the lightning goes across the sky and the thunder rumbles. I wish we could get some thunder rumbling and rain, like some, you know, some good steady two or three days of rain without a flood. That would be like, wow, we need to get the water tables up. And, and uh, Mr. Cowden was telling me, we're visiting him on Friday, how that it's the water right by the river where he is is brackish water now. There's not enough oxygen in it hardly to keep the... And I didn't know that there are river rats. There are really river rats that they. If you're on the if you're on the river around here, all these you got to battle the river rats. I said, are they like muskrats? Oh no, these came across. He said, it's funny. They came across from Romania or somewhere. They came across and and they're just they're right. And he was teasing me, but the, not teasing about the rats. So you have to keep your. They said they'll they'll gnaw through your walls even if you're not careful. So. Anyway, my wife says another reason why I don't necessarily want to live on the river. Uh, there we go. So, continuing on, lightning strikes unexpectedly for, by the way, Leona and Jim Cowden. If you've not met them, you should meet them. They're, and they bring their great niece right now. And Mrs. Dickens have been helping with her, Maya. So Jim, Leona, and Maya. And so if you introduce yourself to them, I saw Mrs. Stevenson did that this morning. Introduce yourself to them and uh, make them feel welcome. As you have, I trust you continue to do that. Lightning strikes unexpectedly. Close and abrupt uh, explosion startles him. 37. At this also my heart trembleth. I've trembled at lightning and thunder and has moved out of his place. Hear attentively the noise of his voice and the sound that goes out of his mouth. Um, he directeth it under the whole heaven and his lightning unto the ends of the earth. After it a voice roareth, he thundereth in the voice of his excellency, and he will not stay them when his voice is heard. God is, is so much infinitely greater than us. I, I, do you ever, I, I know the Bible says he loves me, that, but that he loves me. Just, how can you love me? How can you love me? And I know who I am, and I know how wretched I am, but he does. He loves me with an everlasting love. It's just, I think that's why, um, as Newton, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Oh, but pastor, I know the story of amazing grace. He was a slave trader and he fell over the, over the boat one time in the terrible storm and they harpooned him. And I know all those things, but he's still, we're just as bad without Christ. 
We're the wretch that needs saved without, the, without Christ. We're still, no matter how good you are. Listen to uh, this one song from the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, and they had this, this huge choir in the orchestra, and it's like, wow, listen to that. And, and they're all clean cut, and they're living more lives. But what they need is the Savior, not Joseph Smith. They need the one true Savior. By the way, that you have heard the true gospel a multiplicity of times, you should say, "Woo! praise the Lord. I've had the opportunity to hear the truth. A lot of people are going to die never one time hearing the truth. My wife was just sharing with me today is the, is the anniversary of the passing of her best friend and high school's husband. She wrote, forever 38. At 38 years old, he went home and we called through a cancer. 38 years old. So she puts on this memorial, memorial forever 38. We, we need to be doing what God has called us to do. And I don't understand it. I don't understand why Lee had to go home, but the Lord, a lot of things we don't understand. Mrs. Mrs. Pillay at 36 called home to be with the Lord while she's giving her testimony. I don't understand all those things. And you probably could go on and on, but he is still yet in control when our time is done. I told my wife uh, this week that, you know, a lot of people my age have already passed on. It wasn't a pleasant <clears throat> thing, but the Lord has allowed me to live these 62 plus years. And, and however long it is, I need to be serving him some you got to come back to that because it's going to get discouraging. It's a discouraging week for me this week. I can't tell you why. Discouraging week. But I, the bottom line is we are to continue to serve the Lord until He changes or moves you on to do something different. We, we, he deserves it all. He, he deserves, and we be faithful. And we are serving because He's commanded us to do, commanded us to go. It's the right thing to do. It was Lincoln who walked several miles to return two or three pennies. It was just because it was the right thing to do. Continuing on, there's a metaphor here from the belly of the storm. He proposes God is he's indecipherable. Verse 5, God thundered, thundereth marvelously with his voice. Great things doeth he, which we cannot comprehend. Amen to that. He displays not only his power, but for example, look at his management of the seasons. 36, 37, 36. 37, 6. I'm sorry, 37, verse 6. For he saith to the snow, Be thou on the earth, likewise to the small rain, and to the great rain of his strength. He sealeth up the hand of every man, that all men may know his work. Then the beasts go into their dens and remain in their places. Out of the south cometh the whirlwind, and cold out of the north. By the breath of God frost is given, and the breath of the waters is straightened. He demonstrates his sovereignty uh, over the earth, over wind, snow, etc. He demonstrates his sovereignty for multiple purposes. He controls the weather, verse 11. Also, by watering, he wearieth the thick cloud. He scatters the bright cloud. And as it turned round about by his counsels, that they may do whatsoever he commandeth them upon the face of the world and the earth, he causes it to come, whether for correction or for his land or for mercy. What a warm, kind-hearted God we have that all those who are shaking their fist in God's face are alive. They're breathing air he provides. They're breathing water. He drinking water he drinks providing food that he provides, and yet he, he's giving them this life, even though they are adamantly against him. What a gracious God that it is. He is. And I don't think that he's, 
I tell you, Elihu, I, I think we need to be careful about starting down the road of so many that he's just a bag of wind. He is not. This is coming from, I think, a heartfelt understanding of who God is. By the way, the Holy Spirit superintended the author of this book to include it for us. I don't think he's going to waste six whole chapters for no reason. Elihu is just like if you'll have... You'll have uh, I'm not no hard to go to any concerts, but you'll have someone often opens someone who's not near as well known. I wouldn't know either either of them, but for someone a lot more well known, I think they had the Beach Boys. I've heard that name before, the Beach Boys in Ashland this week. I think they had. I like it's on the sign. It was older. Uh, anyway, I don't know who opened. I don't think I opened for them or not. I don't know. But Elihu is really opening, if you would, because God's gonna. Parrot, if you would. He's going to parallel what Elihu said. So God validates Elihu's meditation once again. If you look at 38 now, 38.22, hast thou entered into the treasures of the snow? Or hast thou seen the treasures of the hail? Which I have reserved against the time of trouble, against the day of battle and war. He's merciful maintenance of our of our of our system, a hydrologic system, as Henry Morris would say. Twenty five, who hath divided a watercourse for the overflowing of waters, or a way for the lightning of a thunder. Thirty eight twenty six, who calls it to rain on the earth where no man is, on the wilderness where there is no man, to satisfy the desolate and waste ground, and to cause the bud of a tender herb to spring forth you know if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one around does it make noise yes because god hears god's there back to 37 as we draw close 37 14 hearken unto this O job stand still and consider the wondrous works of god dost thou know when god disposed them and caused the light of his cloud to shine Dost thou know the balancing of the clouds, the wondrous works of him which is perfect in knowledge? How thy garments are warm when he quieteth the earth by the south wind. Hast thou with him spread out the sky which is strong and is a molten looking glass? A miniature explanation, a prototype of the full-scale interrogation to come. And finally, there's the deferral at the end of the chapter. How quickly the storm blows in. Elihu notices it as far back as 3627. Takes, the rest of the speech takes about three minutes, if you would. It's, it's 1888, there was, a, there was about three minutes. That's all they had to look, and they would look. Uh, it was the worst snowstorm, I think, in American history recorded. It's called the Great White Hurricane. 58 inches of snow on the eastern seaboard and caused 810, $810 million in damage, and there were 400 people lost their lives. They had about three minutes to look up. Interesting, in 38.1, as he concludes his speech, it says, do you notice this? Out of the whirlwind. It's interesting, the whirlwind they've been watching is probably the one about which God is going to speak to Mr. Job from end of the chapter. Fairweather of 37.22, Fairweather cometh out of the north, and God is terrible, is terrible majesty, touching the Almighty. We cannot find him out. He is excellent in power and in judgment. And in plenty of justice, he will not afflict. Men do therefore fear him. He respecteth not any that are wise of heart. What a great way to end sermon. Talking about the, the holiness and wondrousness of our wonderful God. God is great and God is good. 
He shatters this impasse with Job's problem uh, was not so much before he suffered, but now since he has suffered and the things that he has said. Listen, do not cast a disparaging word upon God's justice. The issue is to which the suffering of Job has shifted is not why has God done this to me, but how do I respond to what God has allowed? Not so much why. But how am I responding? Mrs. We're texting with Mrs. I was texting with Mrs. Glenda this week, and she said uh, different things she going on. She said, "But I've got a, there's a lot of people a lot worse than I have it." Similar, something similar to that. We God has allowed these things. I know some of you go through every day pain I've never experienced. Some of you, a lot, several of you do that. God has allowed these things, and we have to keep trusting him through it all we have to trust him he knows about those things this poem i close if you never felt pain god to us our god is in control if you never felt pain then how would you know that i'm a healer if you never went through difficulty how would you know that i'm a deliverer if you never had a trial how could you call yourself an overcomer if you never felt sadness how would you know that i'm a comforter If you never made a mistake, how would you know that I'm forgiving? If you never were in trouble, how would you know that I I will come to rescue? If you never were broken, then how would you know that I can make you whole? If you never had a problem, how would you know that I can solve them? If you never had any suffering, then how would you know what I went through? If you never went through the fire, then how would you become pure? If, If I gave you all these things... How would you then appreciate them? If I never corrected you, how would you know that I love you? If I had all power, if you had all power, sorry, then how would you learn to depend on me? And if your life is perfect, then what would you need me for? So, these things that we want to shy away from, Pastor Tim wants to shy away from, they are the very things God wants to use for us to see his glory and power. And that is the book of Job, that we see him in all his glory. Let us pray. Lord, we're thankful for the Elihu's speeches. Lord, I think a lot of we commentators and pastors and preachers and writers are going, are going to be remiss when they cast all these disparaging. Lord, I see nothing but you working in Elihu and him really shifting the direction of what the conversation should be and the needs that Job has. And then he ends with this wonderful cavalcade of praise to you who are so worthy. You are majestic in glory. And he just demonstrated it by the power over nature and your wonderful provision for the all. So Lord, may we humble ourselves before you. We praise you. May we desire to learn more of you. For you are great. And I'm so small. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.